0: Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Welcome back to Health Bite, our podcast where we discuss all things health and wellness and uh, small actionable steps towards your better health. Today, I'm really excited to have Dr. Elizabeth Rook. Uh, Dr. Rook is a physician and founder of Thrive Arena which is a uh, program in which she helps people thrive in their careers, relationships, and in their lives overall. She is really well suited to do this work as she has uh, a uh, master's degree in public health as well as ethics. She also has a doctorate in osteopathic medicine, which is a practice of medicine, which uh, which is more integrative, right, and holistic than general Western medicine. So really well suited again for this work, and then has a certification in internal medicine and rheumatology. And if that wasn't enough, went on to get a certification in nutrition from precision nutrition. And so she brings all of this background and expertise in helping her patients and her uh, clients thrive. I love that. Welcome, Dr. Rook.
1: Thank you so much, Adrian. I'm so happy
0: to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So tell me a little bit about um, kind of how you approach this uh, big, but small topic of, of living well of thriving. How do you how do you approach this with your clients?
1: So thriving to me means to kind of bloom or blossom or just basically improve on what's already there. So I think of like flowers blooming. And for a flower to bloom, you need to have the soil and the sunshine and the water and kind of all the elements coming together. And so that is how I approach health and lifestyle and nutrition related changes, both with my patients and rheumatology and also with my clients that I coach. And right now I coach one-on-one and we talk about the things basically that are standing in their way. So are they not getting enough, you know, using the metaphor, sunshine or not enough fertilizer or not enough water. So we look at all the aspects of their life and see where maybe they're stuck or there are obstacles in their way so that they can improve all aspects of their life to thrive. Because as you mentioned, um, osteopathic um, training incorporates mind, body, and spirit. We learn additional um, techniques for improving patients' lives and care. And we had additional training in nutrition and um lifestyle and exercise so i like to tie all of that together and a lot of my patients enjoy it some of them do not when we're talking about their arthritis or their lupus or their vasculitis um, yeah. i do have some patients that i'm sure as you do that just want a pill to solve everything
0: <laughs> because right.
1: the life the lifestyle changes are difficult and they can be challenging and it's easy to get stuck um, especially when we're dealing with emotional blockages um, where there's, it, especially stress is a huge um, blockage that a lot of my patients and clients come up against, and they, they're not sure how to go around or move through. And so a lot of the work I do with my coaching clients is we work on processing through um, emotion and stress and getting to the other side of that. And I, I have a big focus on emotional eating because it's near and dear to my heart.
0: Yeah. I mean, all of those, all of those pillars that you mentioned, um, in lifestyle, nutrition, movement. I think you alluded to nature and the sunshine are all so important in this kind of collective uh, pursuit to thrive. Um, so, it's, so talk to me a little bit about how you get people engaged in doing this work, because uh, as you mentioned, it is it is difficult in that it takes a lot of intention even though we we usually feel better on the other end of exercise we feel better on the other end of cooking for ourselves it takes a lot of kind of cost to engage in it to initiate it let's put it that way so how to how do you motivate your patients
1: so i think the easiest way that i've found to do that is just kind of talk to them and see where their beliefs are at and what's kind of holding them back from taking the steps forward and I come from the school of thought that our thoughts and our beliefs create our emotions and our emotions drive our actions so you can either come from a place of love or fear and a lot of us are driven by fear more than love and compassion especially when it comes to ourselves and our health and our own body And sometimes there are beliefs holding us back. So I have a lot of patients, for example, with rheumatoid arthritis or inflammatory types of arthritis, and they get this diagnosis and it just kind of stops them in their tracks. And they think that they have, they form this belief that they're not going to be able to exercise again. They're not going to be able to go out and do and live their life and they get stuck there. And it's very common with any chronic disease diagnosis that you can have anxiety and depression and worry, and it's very easy to get stuck. So sometimes just having that conversation and opening up that possibility that, no, this is not the end of your life. It's not, you know, you're never going to be able to move or exercise and there's nothing that you can do to improve your health or improve your situation or improve your circumstances. And breaking through that barrier, I think is of the utmost importance to just create that possibility that there is life after a diagnosis. There is life after weight gain. There's life after surgery. um, there's life after joint replacement. It's not, you know, a death sentence in that aspect.
0: Yeah. And it's really important. I think to talk about the incremental ways in which people can benefit. So I think a lot of times when we think about weight loss, it's all or nothing, you know, it's like, lose 40 pounds or nothing. when it's, we talk about exercise it's exercise every day or nothing. And I think what's really important to get across is that small incremental changes have not only big impact in people's well-being but also the data is there for impact in, in health right So small changes can really reduce chronic disease, reduce inflammation, in someone who already has a chronic disease, for example. So yeah, wouldn't you say that, you know, small small changes again, small bites.
1: <laughs> yes, definitely. I love the health bite perspective that it's small bites add up. And one of my key, I guess, core phrases I've had since the beginning, even back when I was solely focused on nutrition coaching was that small changes add up and no change is too small. Because if, yeah, I love the book, Atomic Habits, Mm -hmm. Um, because he talks again and again about the small repetitive things and the compounding factor is time. So small changes over time add up and they compound just like, you know, if you put money in the bank and the interest is adding up, you get five cents a day. It doesn't seem like a lot, but you add that five cents over the course of a year, five years, 10 years, you're making so much more money because every time that five cents adds up, now you're compounding the interest on that. It's the same thing with our health even five minutes of movement, even leaving two bites on your plate over time, that adds up and it's very easy. It's normal human concept to just kind of be like, eh, you know, it's not gonna make a big deal if I, you know, eat those two bites or leave them. But over the course of a week or a month or a year, it can add up to huge changes and putting it in that perspective. And I love that is so important to help people see that. And sometimes approaching it, Um, with different examples can kind of reach them in a way that they may not have thought of it before.
0: Yeah. I mean, small, these small, uh, those two bites that you eat, for example, may have a negative impact over time. Right. And the two bites Mm -hmm. that you put on your plate will have a positive impact and, and getting people aligned with the longevity of those practices We are so um, naturally focused on getting results quickly and getting motivated by those results. But it is kind of that mindset. How do you help people to um, kind of stay with that that mindset over time or, Mm -hmm. or stay with the changes over time through mindset?
1: Great question so one of the things that i've seen in myself because i am not immune to any of this i I practice on myself first as we all do and translating that into client and patient successes is one thing especially as women we don't tend to stop and celebrate our wins we tend to just kind of downplay it you know we graduated from medical school we finished our residency we had a kid we don't stop to celebrate that. We just kind of keep moving forward with our head down. What's next? What's next? So one component of that, I think for mindset is stopping to celebrate and even make a list or keep a list or a sticky note. Every time you have a win, write it down, record it, add it up. Um, so on those days where you're, you're feeling like nothing's working or it's not enough, you can look back and say, well, actually that's, a thought error, it's not really true. Look at all this stuff we've accomplished already. And that kind of helps with the motivation. And the other thing with motivation is just finding those sneaky thoughts that are running in the background that we don't pay attention to. So when we're in the moment, it's easy to kind of get caught up in, well, right now, this isn't working, or right now, you know, my weight is up a pound, or I wasn't able to work out four times this week. So just to kind of kick into that automatic kind of beating ourselves up and shaming ourselves, you know, we failed, we didn't succeed. Instead of looking back, well, for the last four weeks, we've worked out four days in a row. For the last four weeks, we've been steadily moving down in the scale. For the last four weeks, we've been able to do all the things we wanted to do in our day-to-day lives, despite our disease diagnosis, despite all these other factors factors and just kind of reassure ourselves hey you're human you're having a bad day or a bad moment this too shall pass and I think one of the sneaky thoughts that I've seen a lot um, over time is that enough the concept of enough or not enough and I think that's a really sneaky thought especially in society like are we doing enough are we doing not enough I could go on for (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, it also it also ties in for me when I think about that into more. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. more our, our needing to do more, be more, act more, mm-hmm. uh, more productivity. It it fits in, into that as well. There are a couple things that you brought up, though, that I want to get into a little bit more. Um, one of one which was celebrating the wins, and mm-hmm. I think. Sometimes people feel like these wins have to be monumental, like medical school or residency or your degree or what have you. Um, but, you know, when I think about it, for me, a big win this morning was um, spending 30 minutes, you know, blow drying my daughter's hair and getting all the tangles out <laughs> and mm-hmm. having quality time with her during that 30 minutes. And it's really acknowledging those small things that happen in the day, the small moments that are really meaningful, joyful. And that makes me also think about savoring, right? Like savoring practices, Mm -hmm. which actually does have scientific data behind it.
1: Yes. And mindfulness is key. I'm reading this great book called work and it's by a monk and I can't pronounce his name so I can get you that information afterwards. And the whole book is about mindfulness and intentionality because especially in American culture and throughout the world, in our day-to-day lives, when we're say perfect example, you're blow drying your daughter's hair, but your mind is thinking about the eight different things you have to do, the laundry you didn't get done yesterday, the four projects you have coming up, you're not in the moment, enjoying it. And it takes away from the experience. And over time, those small stressors add up. And then we look back and we realize we've missed out on that experience. And that stress adds up and becomes chronic stress and that affects our health, it affects our immune system. So being mindful is really important. And I am always trying to come up with new ways to talk about it because there are so many books out there. There There's so many videos, there's so many ways to be mindful and intentional, but it's almost like that gets glossed over as well because people are seeking that quick fix or that instant gratification. But when we truly are in the moment and not thinking about the past or worrying about the future, and we're in the moment with our daughter blow drying her hair and just being fully there, smelling and seeing and touching and talking, it it transforms our lives when we can live that way moment by moment. And sure, we have to think about the future and we may think about the past, if only to learn and adjust for the future. But overall, if we can become more intentional and just aware, aware awareness is so key in that experience.
0: Yeah, and I think it's not only about this idea or desire for a quick fix. I think it's also a matter of people being steered away from their own intuition. I think intuitively, we all know that there is joy to be had and benefits to be had in those small, meaningful moments, for example. Um, But we get steered away from that uh, by, by, you know, gimmicks, so to speak, or other ways of grandiose ways, let's put it, grandiose ways of being moved away from stress. But I think the important point here is that The the studies do show, I mean, there are medical studies that do show that these techniques of mindfulness, of remaining in the present moment, of savoring um, really do have concrete physiologic benefits like reducing inflammatory markers, for example. So people that you treat with rheumatologic diseases, a lot of them have an autoimmune component. And even if they don't, it's an inflammatory process, right? And these kinds of practices will help reduce inflammation, which I think is really powerful. It's something that's intuitive, but has shown to have really profound physiologic effects.
1: Yes, and I believe that there are studies showing as well, meditation, even three to five minutes, and it doesn't have to be seated in the lotus position, (laughs) you know, with your eyes closed, even walking meditations or just intentional mindfulness for a few minutes per day improves sleep. It decreases unhealthy coping mechanisms like eating, over drinking, drug use, you know, scrolling on Instagram or Facebook. And it helps bring us back to our our intuitive, like you said, health um, benefits. So inflammation, I agree, is so important, especially with our autoimmune patients So connective tissue diseases like lupus and scleroderma and myositis are all affected by the stress response, which is our fight or flight response that kicks in when we're having worry or stress or fear. And when we can reduce these outside influences and internally become more aware and mindful and incorporate these Stress-reducing practices into our lives. It it does show decrease in disease flare over time, and that will help with inflammation as well. So it is something that I do talk about with all of my patients. And when I was first starting out in practice, I used to say, "Okay, you have to reduce your stress," and then just kind of laugh about it because I didn't know how to do that either. (laughs) But I've learned over time, and I'm always happy to share that and discuss it with my patients. And I'm always. I am always interested to hear in what methods they can come up with and incorporate easily into their lives and what works for them, because that's the biggest thing is finding what works for you, having an N of one and doing that experimentation and finding what works for you that you can do long-term, because that's the other key is anyone can tell you how to eat or how to exercise or what you should do. And there's so many almost overwhelmingly pressing forces. The fitness and wellness industry is a billion dollar industry. And you can go and change your nutrition and your exercise every day for several years without coming across the same type of program. But it's what works best for you that you can do for the rest of your life. And when you can incorporate that into your lifestyle, that's when you know you've found what works best for you to basically to thrive in your health and your
0: life. Yeah, I mean, focusing on this topic of mindfulness, I think there's so much discussion and conversation about it right now. It's it's so topical, mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. Um, and this image of people sitting on a lotus pad uh, in order to do it is really f- false, right? So to speak to your point of finding what works for you, um, there are what are other ways that you get people initiated into mindfulness or encourage my mindfulness? What are some, some other maybe unique strategies for mindfulness that you would suggest? Sure. A lot of times I
1: ask what interests my, my patients and clients, like what, do, what do they enjoy doing? Think back to when they were a kid, what did they love to do? And I think play and having fun is truly missing. In a lot of our adult lives, because we feel like there's this image that we have to maintain. But when you can take time to either, you know, get outside and just be outside and feel the sunshine and the breeze, or, you know, some people have said, "Well, I used to like to roller skate. Great, let's find some roller skates and you know, go try it." You know, and obviously, there's some some people have safety precautions, but getting them back to that state of intentional play and relaxation. And like you said, it doesn't have to be sitting quietly. I'm as type A as they come. And for me, sitting quietly is like my idea of torture, <laughs> you know, and I do meditate because it's good practice for me. Um, and I, I worked my way up from three minutes a day after two years to five minutes. And occasionally I can do 10 without, you know, wanting to do 50 other things. Um, but just kind of tapping into everyone's unique interests and what's fun for them? Because what's fun for one person and enjoyable and relaxing is not necessarily fun for the next person.
0: I also think there's something in the mundane activities, right? So um, your drive to work or, you know, we're not driving very much to work anymore, but, you know, your drive to work or doing the dishes or folding laundry or things that are maybe mundane. Um, But if you can quiet your mind in those moments, they tend to be times where people are, are can capture that presence, right, can capture that stillness in in that rote and mundane activity.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's almost like a walking meditation. So sometimes when my body wants to move, and it's good for people that carry a lot of stress, and they feel that kind of physical agitation or jitteriness, and they just want to move their body. So just like you said, doing dishes, but paying attention to what you're doing and not letting your mind wander off to the future or the past and just being present in that moment, folding laundry, you know, have sitting down and having dinner and not letting your mind wander when your spouse is talking to you about their day at work. And you're just like, I, I care, but I don't, because I just want to, you know, my mind just wants to jump to what happened during my day or what's going to happen in the next three days being fully present and it's hard because our minds just want to go, go, go once they're on and just bringing the intention back. And I think with regular practice, like two to five minutes a day, just being in the moment, just being here on this podcast with you and not thinking about the rest of my day or the rest of your day, it really does kind of relax the body as well as the mind. And it helps just kind of slow down and come back to where we are.
0: So we talked about savoring. We've talked about mindfulness. Um, I think another uh, another technique that has been demonstrated to have uh, benefits to well being as well as health benefits is uh, gratitude practice. And um, I think it's an interesting time right now because you know we're we're kind of in the middle of. Um, the pandemic coming on the heels of uh, the summer where we were, we lightened up a little bit, right? Things were looking a little bit more rosy and we were feeling a little bit more optimistic and now heading into the winter where things aren't looking as rosy. We know we have a few months of difficult times ahead of us and some of the ways in which we were creating connection doing things outdoors is not feasible for a lot of people, right, because of the cold, etc. And it makes it difficult to, I think, uh, not difficult to be grateful, but it may feel a little like uh, Pollyanna to have gratitude in the midst of all this. Uh, But even in the midst of all this, there's an opportunity, right, for for a gratefulness or gratitude practice. What are your thoughts on
1: that? And Yeah, that's a great point. And I actually just finished for the month of November, I did a gratitude challenge in my Facebook group to kind of encourage people to find just one thing that they were grateful for that day, because it's easy to be overwhelmed by circumstances, by COVID, by, you know, having the kids at home and homeschooling and virtual learning and virtual working. And I feel like this has been the year that has challenged us all as humans, and it's bringing up all of our underlying challenges, but it's also bringing out the best in people because you get to see who's growing and how they're growing and how they're getting creative, like even food service, restaurants that couldn't open, how did they get creative to still stay open and be profitable and serve people? And I think focusing on thankfulness and service and what we can control, which is how we see the world and practicing that helps to, encourage more joy. And I agree, I don't think it's about being happy when something bad is happening. It's about being able to see that, again, this too shall pass and all emotions are temporary. So as frustrated as we're feeling, as cooped up and held back and restricted, I guess, limited, that as we're feeling, we still are able to be creative in our limitations and we're finding different ways and different ways to grow with the restrictions and the limitations that have been placed on us. And that I think is really amazing. The way that people have reached out to each other found creative ways to stay connected and stay engaged. And I really think that speaks to the ability for humans as a race, you know, to find gratitude in our lives on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that way of putting it because the what you're saying in essence is, is uh, noticing your resourcefulness, um, being able to pivot in a situation is kind of a, a form of gratitude, right? Because you are taking what you're dealt with and you're demonstrating that you can still despite that, be uh, innovative. And that's, that's in a way, a form of gratitude, I think.
1: Yes. And I think it's a way of forced growth. Like, you know, when we're growing, we don't necessarily enjoy it. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But on the other side, we've grown and we've learned and we've maybe produced something new that wouldn't, that opportunity wouldn't have been there had that limitation not been placed on us.
0: I'll tell you one thing for me that I have found during this time um, that I have, I mean, I had to really be intentional and thinking about it, but in being intentional, I have gratitude for is some of the uh, social activities that I, that I miss actually, that I feel lost for not having on the flip side of that, I feel a little bit of gratitude for having that time you know, for not being rushed to have to be somewhere every Friday night or have to be at birthday parties for the kids or, uh, you know, having to take the older ones from one place to another. Some of those social activities for me and my children that is being missed is being translated into more time. And so that for me is a is a positive, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the time. Definitely. And I think I've
1: seen that almost across the board. You know, I have some patients in my clinic that have always said, you know, I say, how are you doing? And they say, it's great. I woke up today. (laughs) You know, it it can always be worse. And other people who tend to focus more on the negative. And I think a lot of people believe that like they're either positive or negative and there's no in between. I think we all have the full range of emotion and this almost kind of like forced stop or forced slowdown has helped us all kind of refocus and have gratitude for most of us that we had to slow down because most of us, you know, especially in women in medicine, we're almost all overachievers and (laughs) we just want to go, go, go and do more and more and more and nothing's ever quite enough. And this almost forced us to just put the brakes on completely and stop and look around and reevaluate, you know, if this virus was to come into everyone's home and take out three or four people, we didn't know back in the spring, what was going to happen. You know, if this was something like, you know, I hate to say, but like, if it was something like Ebola that was spreading, you know, uncontrolled, we would all be much different than how we are now. But because we have that increased awareness just from the slowing down last spring and being kind of sheltered in place, we know what's most important to us because we were all forced to stop and evaluate and take stock. So I think that's definitely true. And I think we've all kind of come back to center in a way this year.
0: So going forward, speaking about, you know, uh, the m- winter months to come and, and the fact that we're all kind of hunkering down a little bit more than we maybe had over the last few months, um, these practices uh, that we that you talk about I think are going to become increasingly important, um, but they also become difficult, right? So, like when uh, when we need it most, we tend to give up the sleep. Uh, we're staying up late and watching Netflix, um, mm-hmm. or when we need the exercise the most, we feel apathetic towards it, or we don't have the volition. So, can you talk about a little bit about the importance of these? practices right now? And what are your maybe five key stress-reducing practices or mood-enhancing practices? Okay. So I, I think the biggest thing
1: is to maintain awareness. And as a practice, I like journaling. Some people don't like writing things down. Some people prefer to kind of take a walk or just get up in the morning and sit quietly. I think having intentional time in your day, even if it's two minutes that you kind of block out at the beginning or the end of the day, just to kind of recenter and be aware. Um, Awareness I feel is of the utmost importance as far as maintaining sanity (laughs) and stress reduction over these winter months. Um, Also practicing gratitude And sometimes that's just, you know, finding one thing in the moment that you can be grateful for. I'm grateful for my balsam fir candle that smells great when I'm otherwise, you know, inundated with having things to do, um, moving your body, you know, even if it's limited stretching in your chair, you know, taking a walk, even if it's around the house, walking up and down the stairs in your apartment building, you know, stretching your body, doing yoga, finding online videos, the world of the internet is vast, and there are so many free resources out there. And reaching Mm -hmm. out to other people, I think is important and staying connected. Because when we isolate ourselves, it's easy to kind of get inside our head and just stay there and find a little deep hole. But reaching out to someone, especially when you're struggling is actually a sign of strength. And I think that I can't stress that enough to not pretend that everything's okay when it's not. And to just, you know, have that one or two people that you can go to and say, hey, you know, I'm having a hard day or this is really bothering me. Can you just listen for a moment or even just to write down those thoughts so that they're out of your head and you can release them?
0: Yeah, I love the practice of uh, journaling and writing. And sometimes I tell my patients uh, that, you know, the when we're having trouble sleeping, for example, when the anxiety levels are high as they are right now, um, having just a timer, set a timer for what you think you can do 10 minutes and spend that 10 minutes really just writing, getting it all out, even if it's redundant, even if you're repeating the same thing over and over again. I actually started with 30 minutes because then it really becomes redundant. But then you, you promise yourself once you're done, you close the book. And then, you know, you're not allowed to go back to it until the next 30 minutes or the next five minutes, the following evening, as a way to clear your mind. So I really like that journaling practice.
1: I think the other thing that I remembered when you brought that up is one thing is keeping a notebook just beside the bed, because I have a lot of patients who wake up in the middle of the night, and then their brain clicks on and thinks it's time to start worrying about everything again, just having that notebook to just jot down what's going on and tell, you know, kind of reassuring your brain, okay, we can think about this tomorrow. So that's one practice I do recommend if people have a lot of interrupted sleep, or their sleep is, is difficult because of worry and anxiety. Um, The other practice is, giving yourself a 10 to 30 minute period a day to decide that that's when you're going to worry. And that's when you're going to think about everything. And it's like your worry time. And when your brain starts clicking on, when you're in the middle of something else, you say, Nope, I'm going to save this for my worry time. And then you set the clock and then you have nothing else to do other than worry for those 30 minutes.
0: Yeah, it does help kind of compartmentalize that. And it allows you to have a strategy to move on from the ruminating thoughts or the persistent thoughts. There are so many great points that we made here. We kind of, um, it was a flowing conversation that went from one thing to another, but I appreciate your time and your expertise in, in um, how you guide patients in, in living well and less stressful lives. Um, tell us, Liz, some of the things that you're doing right now and how people can learn more about your work. So um, my coaching
1: practice is Thrive Arena Coaching. You can find me on Instagram at the underscore thrive underscore arena. And then I'm on Facebook, Liz Rook and then Thrive Arena Coaching. And I do have a Facebook group For busy women who want to lose weight and stop emotionally eating, and I'm actually going to be doing a challenge in the next few weeks. I launched that today. Um, It's going to be the 13th through the 17th. It's called the losing it challenge. So we're going to plan to lose it, losing it being losing our weight, losing our stress, losing our limiting things for five days with implementable tools and ways to get you thriving into the new year, even before it starts.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, it was a fun conversation. And for those of you who want to know more about um, us and our newsletter and our podcast Health Byte, please check us out at Dell Nutrition and Dr. And um, I hope we can have another conversation soon. That would be great. Be well, Liz. Thank you so much, Adrian. Have a great day. You
1: too.